Hi, it's Hal Taufik, and here we are in our fourth session of St. Martin's Lenten Bible study on race, ethnicity, and the New Testament. We're in our last one then, um, and we're, of course, under very funny circumstances or, or odd circumstances. That is, here I am in my house talking to you, and uh, during this Lenten series, we've been kind of all over the place. Uh, last week, we had a podcast. You didn't see me, um, but you heard me. And the first three sessions, and then the first two sessions, we were at church. Um, and in the meantime, we have um, the coronavirus, and our lives are very different, aren't they? Um, I miss you all. Um, it's uh, fun to think of us together in this way, and I'm glad for our learnings. And I'm uh, sorry for all of the sadness and loss in, in our, our lives and in our world. The first three sessions that we've done together in various circumstances have been based on this extraordinary work of a New Testament scholar named Vincent Wimbush. We have had really wonderful interactive study of his approach to Bible study. And it basically is uh, foregrounding the amazing work of the last three and a half centuries by African-American people who've studied the Bible. We have made a lot of progress in, in seeing how much that offers all of us uh, across all kinds of boundaries. And I frankly hope that we as a parish get a chance to continue um, this study of Vincent Wimbush for some time. It's, it looks like this has quite a bit of promise for us in our regular Bible study. This is not some kind of special attention to race relations, I think, in, in Wimbush's work, but it is it has shown us already what powerful new meanings and renewed meanings we can have in our Bible study when we consult very thoroughly how many different African-Americans have studied the Bible in ways that are not a part of the European and North American white biblical studies landscape. So, and as we were planning this, and um, as one of our um, clergy uh, who has been uh, staffing this, um, Reverend Ann Thatcher, and I planned out this study for four weeks during Lent, um, we decided that we would do Wimbush for three weeks, and then the last study um, would be another kind of study of race, ethnicity, and New Testament. And that would be for us to look back at 
the first two centuries and see what race and ethnicity meant in general in the Mediterranean world where, where the New Testament people were coming into being and to see what meanings there are about race and ethnicity in the, in the New Testament itself. So here we are, we're about ready to do that. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, this is a very hearty and difficult um, saying goodbye to um, the work of Vincent Wimbush for at least now. And now we will just be talking about ancient history and race and ethnicity. Um, maybe we'll get some contemporary meaning out of it as well. So here we go. The first thing that I'd like us to talk about is the word race in the New Testament. And the first thing I want you to know is in translations, um, by and large, the word race is almost never used in the New Testament. For American situations, that may seem quite odd um, that one could talk about the world without race. But by and large, I guess I want to say to, to you that the more I've thought about this particular question, it's true. It's not just a happenstance of the Greek word or something like that. It is that the concept of race more or less doesn't exist in the New Testament. There are in some translations of the New Testament, uh, translations in English, there are, is, are, are some very faint uses of the word, the English word race. Um, but it doesn't mean what our 21st century world mean by race, especially in the American situation. It's as if really the, all of the peoples in the Mediterranean basin that feature in the New Testament, it's as if they would scratch their heads when they see us using such a word. The, in the few times that the word, the translated word race is used in the New Testament, um, it seems basically to mean a people. Uh, so there is some translated words in which they say, and my race. And what's very clear from the way that word is used, that is not meaning, and my skin color. So one of the things that is happening as we look at this is that um, it's more or less improper to use the word race 
in the in relationship to the New Testament. It basically is another word for a particular people. So that race or this race, and it in the New Testament, when that is a very occasionally used, um, it doesn't mean that skin color or this skin color. It's in, in that way, it's a rare and bad use of the term race. Now, what's interesting to me, and I, if we could only talk together, uh, I'm sure that this talk would be better. But for, what's interesting for me is I'm not sure that I want to give away the word race um, in this conversation as more or less Americans um, that, that we are. I'm glad some of us aren't Americans in, in this church. Um, but it is true that there is a reality of race in the American situation. And so I don't mean to say that we shouldn't be talking about race and that we should not be thinking complexly about race. I think, however, that our, the complexity with which we in our peculiar Americans, or one might say sad Americanness to a certain extent, that we um, can't lean on the New Testament for sharing a, a, any kind of racial perspective. The world, the Mediterranean world, simply doesn't know about the way our last 350 years or so have um, what that word has meant uh, to people in all its tragedy and complexity. Why I am holding on to the, race, the word race to a certain extent is not because it's such a good word now or later, but because what has happened in our particular American situation, I think, um, and again, if only we were talking together, we could um, notice where some of my thinking is not helpful. But it is true that in our culture, in our cultures, it, it is important to think um, and to notice how people of color have been forced to claim the word race in some meaningful ways for them. It's not at all clear to me that um, dominant white people can use the word race with, with much meaning because, it, because for everyone, the word race is so tinged with hate and difficulties that it's, um, it's problematic. But what I don't want to miss is that in the middle of all the hate, violence, and loss in America around race, people of color have used the word in, in very creative ways. 
to reject racial violence and racial hate. Not just to it, but not just to reject it or claim it, but to own the fact that the American situation of race has so much loss and pain in it that people of color have been able to or had to use race to reclaim what meaning making happens for people of color. And again, the word people of color, I think, is um, somewhat odd in the way different Americans use it. But I use it here to recognize the reality and creativity of a whole set of non-white people as they come to terms with the, the American situation. Okay, maybe that last um, little approach um, has limited meaning. If I stick straight uh, with the New Testament, I think that the main thing I've already said, and that is race is simply not a concept um, for that ancient set of peoples. So this is not, however, the end of thinking about the New Testament in its historical meanings, because there is another word that actually we have used in our in our study um, this Lent, and that's ethnicity. Ethnicity is a is much more create, creative um, or creative leaning in the way it is used. Um, in America, and it's a big time word uh, with perhaps some different meanings in the New Testament. The word ethnicity, um, it, well, the word ethnicity is very powerful in the New Testament on all kinds of ways as the meaning of Jesus and the meaning of the Christ people come into to reality in the first two centuries. The, actually, the Greek word, which the New Testament is written in, the Greek word that I'm referring to is ethne. So the, it's, so the Greek word, in other words, the uh, English speaking has borrowed or um, taken over a Greek word, ethne. The word ethne means the peoples, all different kinds of peoples that exist in the Mediterranean basin. Um, sometimes the word ethne is used to mean tribal peoples. Sometimes it's used to, to um, mean national peoples um, because of course now and in the past the um, the Mediterranean has had all kinds of nations and all kinds of tribal peoples um, 
in it with lots of interesting differences and overlapping uh, relations with one another. So the interesting thing about the New Testament's time is that this word ethne or ethnicity or ethnicities um, took a turn for the for for the worse one might say that is because during those 200 years all of the wonderful different tribal peoples um, and different national peoples that existed in the Mediterranean all of them got conquered and and so uh, the in many ways uh, the nations and the tribes disappeared it's not as if there was um, these people didn't exist or it's it's sort of that the people didn't exist Rome took over everybody's territory and tried to say what you were what you used to be as a nation or what you used to be as a as a tribe no longer matters or in fact what Rome tried to do as it took over the entire Mediterranean basin it tried to make the reality and the meaning of being a a tribal person or a, a nation that one was for hundreds of years try to make that disappear Rome did that often through violence um, um, and and uh, ignorance and propaganda uh, so on the other hand as Rome tried to do that many people tried nevertheless to keep their ethnic identity so here we need to remember how in America often a whole bunch of people's identities have been people have tried to eliminate ethnic identities and so in this regard the New Testament and our time have a lot in common so the ethnicities that sort of still existed were identities that people were trying to hold on to or the other use of the word ethne um, uh, was often referred to the many different nations and tribes which used to exist and were still trying to exist so for instance in the New Testament the New Testament uses that word fairly often in and and what it means there is it refers to the reality that Rome is trying to make disappear um, so especially for instance in the, the letters of Paul you will see Paul referring to the ethne and that's probably not best translated ethnicities but rather the peoples all of the different peoples or maybe the nations or maybe the nations and tribes this is why um, the word ethne 
And the idea about the nations in, in the New Testament can help us perhaps now and then think about the American complexity of race and ethnicity. And we'll, we'll, we'll be able to talk a little bit about that, I think. Um, the other word now that I need to bring into play in, in these matters um, is the word Israel. And let's just remember what Israel was in the Mediterranean while the, the New Testament was being written and while Rome was in control of everything. Israel was one of those nations, or at least that's what all those other nations thought of Israel. Israel was simply one of the many nations in the Mediterranean basin, which Rome as an empire had captured and destroyed as a reality, at least governmentally. That is what, what Israel was, was a nation on its own. And Rome destroyed that nation as such, while the people of Israel, just like the people, all the other ethne, the other ethnicities, the other peoples of the Mediterranean, just Israel tried to hang on to being Israel, even though it was tortured and beaten and robbed by Rome over and over again. But here is another funny way that the word ethne or ethnicity um, is used in the New Testament. It's used as if, oh, that's not quite the right way for me to put it, but I'm going to say it anyway and say it then some different. It's, it's as if Israel still is a people. One might want to say Israel was still a people. Israel now still is a people as uh, religiously and nationally. But when the people of Israel in the time of the first two centuries, when the New Testament is beginning to come into existence, um, when Israel uses the term ethne in Greek, because that's what the people of Greek are writing by and large, um, at that time, just a, an aside, uh, Hebrew was more or less um, uh, a dead um, language at that time, just like Latin was uh, and is now. Um, but anyway, so when the people of Israel used the word ethne, meaning nation or peoples, what it means is everybody but us. So Israel thinks of itself as the people of God. And everybody else have actually the status of the nations or the other peoples. The interesting thing, of course, is that the New Testament, various New Testament writers, and again, there was no such thing as New Testament at this time. There were just a bunch of different books 
being written by the Jesus people and the Christ people of different sorts. Um, but when the Christ people or the Jesus people of those first two centuries, when they use um, the word the peoples, the ethne, basically there's an assumption that the Christ people and the Jesus people are mainly identified as Israel. This, of course, is a little bit funny in that time, in that one of the things that the Christ people uh, do is they think of themselves still as belonging to Israel or being Israel, even, even though the, the nationality of Israel has been destroyed by Rome. But the Christ people or the Jesus people, however we want to call them, they still think that whoever they are belongs to Israel or is Israel. In other words, there has not been a separation between all the people that belong to Israel, um, but, but now Israel is no longer a nation but the people who are trying to stay Israel without being a political nation. That's what the Christ people, the Jesus people of the first two centuries think they are. They're a part of that. And so the New Testament's use by and large of ethne, ethnicities, um, is something different than Israel that we're a part of. But then actually that gets complicated and you'll see this in the various ways that ethne is used in the, um, in the various writings that became a part of the, the New Testament later. And there um, it's what what um, a bunch of, probably not all of, the Jesus groups, the different Jesus groups who are writing different things, they're kind of together and they're kind of not. So um, the Jesus and Christ people's writings want to say that the peoples, the nations, the ethne, they all now belong to Israel's God. That Israel's God welcomes all of the ethne. So that, for instance, Paul writes, we're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Notice Paul doesn't say in Christianity because Christianity doesn't exist at that point. But so you see the funny complexity that is beginning to happen in the Israel that the Jesus and Christ people think they're a part of. So the basic proposal that is that in Jesus, who of course belonged 
to the people of Israel, um, not, was not a Christian, that in the life and teachings of Jesus, the various writings of the Jesus and Christ people are saying we want to think of ourselves as belonging to Israel's God and therefore in many ways belonging to whatever it means to be Israel. And we want all of the ethnicities to do that as well. So that you'll find things said in the New Testament writings like all of us are one in Christ. And they probably mean, here is some teacher like I can imagine, but I've learned this from all the other flawed teachers in, in, in our church and in our, in our uh, reality. So the reality is a kind of reality we don't know in the New Testament and in those writings because we are Christians and they weren't. Um, so what it mean, what the ethne mean, what the nations, what the peoples of the Mediterranean mean for the Christ and Jesus people um, is one big new kind of world under the loving care of Israel's God. The since the word Christian is only used two or three times in the whole New Testament, um, we need to notice that the way all peoples in the Mediterranean are invited to come together is in Jesus as they all are invited into the big Israel God's love and power. That, of course, has really, it has a, a bunch of irony and complexity to, a, to it for us who are Christians. Um, and we're still working that out, aren't we, between um, the relationship between contemporary Jews and contemporary Christians. Um, so ethnicity then is sort of the right word, is sort of a New Testament word, and is sort of not a New Testament word. Because for us now, ethnicity is a word about different peoples, but it doesn't take care of the reality of the first two centuries when basically the Jesus movements and the Jesus peoples of that time were feeling that God, the God of Israel, was calling them into a deep loved relationship with all the rest of the people in 
the Mediterranean basin. So that in that way, I think that our American situation now, in which it's helpful for us to acknowledge the very different people in both America and beyond, and talk about it as ethnicities. What's good about that is, of course, that it's a recognition that there's not just one American people, um, but that there's all kinds of different peoples in the world and, and in America as, as well. I'm probably not putting this together right, but I'm trying to stick with um, the New Testament uh, or the New Testament writings um, and, um, and how they are giving themselves to God in a way that they, that, that they understand their world to be made bigger. Or another way of saying that is, I think those Jesus people and Christ people of the first two centuries would say that Israel has, um, as just one nation, kind of missed the boat on what God wanted. Um, and, and Israel should think of itself as a as, as where all peoples can worship God and where all peoples can live together. The Christ people, as they're writing in, this, in the first two centuries, they find places in the Hebrew scriptures where that's said, especially in 2nd Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah, the, the Christ people of the first two centuries find a message that says when Israel was conquered by Babylon and then Persia conquered Babylon and conquered Israel together, second Isaiah thinks that the emperor of Persia is going to come and free Israel, and that that Persian emperor is going to convert to Israel's God. And therefore, the whole world will worship Israel's God since the Persian emperor controls the whole world. Well, it didn't work out that way, did it? Um, uh, but, but it was really, Second Isaiah was a really important book because in second Isaiah it found this blending of the all of the nations all the ethnicities together under Israel's God and with the teachings and life of Jesus as a central sign for this new kind of world all right, there's now one other word that we need to look at very carefully, um, and it's not either race or ethnicity. <laughs> it's not completely clear, is it, how, um, how much headway we're making on race or ethnicity either in this talk.
I hope it's going to be of some help to you. Um, but remember, as I've said often to, to you all in this, the first part of this, uh, this Lenten program, um, I make a lot of mistakes um, in trying to understand this stuff. Um, uh, and you need to think of me as, as, especially when I talk about the ancient world, as probably not representing it correctly. It's really hard to talk about something that happened so long ago without enough information. Anyway, one of the other um, acknowledgments of what you're up against when um, you and I talk. The next word that I want to talk about is a, a word that's also used just a little bit uh, in the New Testament, but I think has a big meaning. That's the word barbarian, or in Greek, barbaros, or barbaroi, um, depending whether it's plural or singular. Barbarian. <laughs> well, um, it's we'll get we'll get back to something. I, I need to make sure that I remember for us to talk about Galatians in that regard. Um, but barbarian is more or less a word that the Roman rulers made up for the ethne for all the other people. So basically, Roman's pitch was, if you're not Roman, you're nobody. Oh, that's not exactly their pitch. The Romans took over Greece and really admired Greece's culture. So they would probably say, if you're not Greco-Roman, that is in the, in the, in the culture that we took over, the Greek culture that we took over partly as we began to run the Mediterranean world, um, you're either, if you count at all as a person, uh, uh, you count only as a Greek or Roman. Basically, the word barbarian means in so many documents and in the way it was used by the Romans, the word barbarian means part human, not completely human. Uh, we kind of know how to use that word, right? Barbarian often means not really fully human. It's a, it's a slur word. Barbarian is a manufactured word by the Romans to, to put all other peoples down. So if you're walking along the street in Egypt or in Syria or Israel or Spain or North Africa, if you're doing that under Roman rule and um, the let's say the Roman, um, a, a group of Roman soldiers come by, they say, you don't matter. We're going to do this or that bad thing to you because you're just a barbarian. 
it, no, even though, let's say, your whole people before the Romans took you over in North Africa had a, a spectacular culture and sense of self, the Romans would knock you around and say, you're just a part human, you're a barbarian. So they weren't aiming at any particular language spoken, um, color of skin or anything. The Romans were just putting everybody down but them and sort of the Greeks. Now, the interesting thing about uh, the way the word barbarian is used in the New Testament, it's really only used twice directly. And in both cases, it's used in a positive sense. So in other words, um, the New Testament in its brief it basically, of course, doesn't like the term barbarian because the term barbarian um, is a slander, is, is prejudice, has nothing to do with the love of God. When the, that you, if you call someone a barbarian, that has nothing to do with that. So by and large, the New Testament doesn't traffic in barbarian. But it does use it a couple of times, both in the writings of Paul and both in, I think, ingenious ways. Um, one is Paul in um, in one of his letters, he basically says um, that I am indebted as much to the barbarians as I am to the Greeks. So the Greeks are the hotshots the ones that even in some ways are supposed to know more than the Romans. And the barbarians are the half humans. But Paul says, whoever I am is part, is, 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 is belonging to being a barbarian at least as much as it is belonging to be a Greek. In other words, the thing that Rome says is great about being Roman or Greek. Paul says, yeah, that's a part of reality. But he says it's just as much a party, uh, part of reality that the, that the barbarians belong as well. That we, he, he says basically, I'm a barbarian and I'm a Greek. Meaning the most admired and the most... Um, uh, hated and, and um, um, vilified. The other thing that um, Paul, where Paul uses uh, the word barbarian is in a long list of things, very similar. It's not exactly the same, but he ten, tends or his, his followers tend to, to use this in this way. Um, when he he will go as as I said before he'll say, you know neither Jew nor Greek, neither Judean nor Greek, nor male nor female nor 
slaved or free, um, we're not any of those. We are all one in Christ. And in one of those other lists, he says, more or less the, the same, he says, we're barbarian and Greek. Um, so there, Paul means that in a mocking way of the way barbarian is really used. And actually, even after the New Testament writings have been written, even into the second and third century, most Christ people, or as in the third century, Christians, um, they claim the insult of barbarian as a way of standing over against the violence and vilification of the Roman rulers. This gets me to what I was wanting to say about the word Galatians. Some of you know that there is a book of the New Testament that Paul wrote, um, and it's called the Letter to the Galatians. A number of scholars of our day have noticed that this is probably another one of the one of the things that Paul um, is doing to make fun of Roman hatred about other peoples. Galatia is an ill-defined place in Asia Minor during that time, and is a place that Paul went to. There, Paul discovered that most of the people that lived in the northern part of, of Asia Minor were people from the north that had come down into um, what was near Greece, but not in Greece. And they were the, the Galatians were by and large the people that Rome and Greece loved to make fun of because they were barbarian. They were, they were the northern people who um, didn't count. So isn't this, I think, rather wonderful uh, uh, that Paul writes a letter to what probably really means when he says the letter to the Galatians. This is also almost certainly for most people in the Mediterranean basin, a slur. The Galatians are basically the barbarians, especially barbarians. And so Paul writes a letter to the people that the Romans and the Greeks think are the worst kind of people, are the half people. So in many ways, it's um, especially the, the, the person who's done this most beautifully in scholarship of our day is um, Professor Birgitta Cajal. And there she says in her work, she says, 
The letter to the Galatians really means the letter to the barbarians. And it's meant ironically in the same way that Paul means a lot of things in his trying to bring people together from all kinds of sexualities, all kinds of uh, stations in life, all kinds of economic situations, and all kinds of nationalities. I want to say one last um, thing about this messy vocabulary and complex good news um, in the writings of the early Jesus people and what, what became the New Testament. I want to bring up one last word, and that's universal. I think some people have taken the, the writings, some of the writings of the New Testament and some of the uh, uh, writings of Paul, especially, and they have, have said that what this is is, is a, a universal message. That is, aren't we all the same? in God's sight. Has a, a good point to it, doesn't it? One of the things uh, as we work on meanings around the word race and ethnicity and meanings made in the New Testament and through the New Testament, one of the things that we've begun to notice is that a universal message may miss something about this complex way that the New Testament rejects the term race as something usable um, and plays with complexly the word ethne or ethnicity. And what the thought that the Christian message is universal may be missing is that difference. So when Paul is very interested in neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, it's, it seems like there's a real possibility that what to be in Christ is, is not to be all the same, but to be a reality, a body, as Paul says, that has differences in it. So I think one could misunderstand the way uh, I've laid out the meaning of ethne and the way there's a deep embrace of the early Christ and Jesus people for all all different kinds of people if we said that was a universal message I myself am interested in working on uh, thinking about the body of Christ in the New Testament and this deep welcome of all kinds of different people not as an erasure of all differences, but as an acceptance of us together with all of our differences. I hope that um, you haven't been too bored by this talk 
and um, and I hope I haven't made too many mistakes. And most of all, I hope that um, uh, what we did in the first three sessions um, isn't dimmed um, as we as we worked with African Americans and the Bible in the work of Vincent Wimbush. Here's to us returning to that work and, and to continuing this conversation about um, the historical meanings of ethnicity and race in. Thanks for listening and watching these final two sessions of Race, Ethnicity, and the New Testament with the Reverend Hal Tossig. If you're interested in continuing with Bible study, please visit our website, stmartinec.org slash biblical hyphen studies for a list of options offered digitally during the pandemic. If you like this content, we'd love if you would make a donation in support of our ongoing ministry. Online donations are preferred at this time. Please visit stmartinec.org slash give. Our buildings are closed, but worship continues digitally on our website, as well as on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Visit stmartinec.org slash worship to connect with Sunday and weekday worship. You can also visit stmartinec.org slash holyweekeaster for the full schedule of our Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday worship services. And of course, you can always stay in touch and learn more about what's going on at St. Martin's and with our other programs and ministries by visiting stmartinec.org and looking around. Thanks again for joining us.